thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello, Lindsay. Hi. This is, do you see my cute, put- my cute button? I do see your cute button. Can you guys see that? Oh, you have a little Annabelle button. A little Annabelle mm-hmm. button. Very cute. Very cute. Uh, episode 75 today. 75. It's a big number. It's a big number, which means we are... 25 away from 100. Yeah, we'll have to figure out what to do for that one. I know. That'd be a special one. Yeah, you guys, send me some emails. Tell me what we should do. Uh, new retro scared to death book tee and big uh, foofy pillow. Yeah, the, so cute. <laughs> the oversub pillow at the uh, in the store now at badmagicmerch.com. Uh, I think these items, peepers. We do a lot oh. of we do a lot of for the stuff for the creepers. These these are pretty adorable. They feel sweet. They do. They yeah. do. And the pillow has that protection incantation from the show opening on the back, it which does. is pretty cool. Yes, it does. Yeah, very very uh, awesome designs. And um, I have some awesome news. Excited to oh. announce the February charity donation. Yay! Quiet clap. <laughs> uh, thank you, Roberts and Annabelle's, for helping us at Bad Magic Productions donate twelve thousand two hundred dollars to NoKidHungry.org. Woo! Uh, before That's crazy. Th- it is crazy. It's very cool. Uh, before the pandemic, millions of hungry kids, you know, relied on school for food. Mm-hmm. For many, it was the only food they might get on any given day. That's so upsetting. Uh, but even as schools and communities work to feed students, while many school buildings remain closed, children are missing meals they need. And with many parents out of work, more kids in the U.S. are facing hunger than, you know, ever before in recent memory. Mm-hmm. So No Kid Hungry is a national campaign run by Share Our Strength, a nonprofit working to solve problems of hunger and poverty in the U.S. and around the world. And after 25 years of successfully investing in local nonprofits and helping find the best approaches to eradicating poverty and hunger, Share Our Strength launched No Kid Hungry in 2010. As a child hunger organization, ending childhood hunger is their primary focus, uh, but Share Our Strength also continues to invest in and develop other helpful campaigns. Mm-hmm. So great charity, and this donation will help them a ton. It's nokidhungry.org if you would like to you know, find more uh, out about them, donate yourself. The link will be in the episode description. So thank you, thank you for letting us do that. Yeah, it's such a cool thing that we all collectively get to do. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, enough warm and fuzzies now. I know, I got a little misty-eyed. <laughs> Let's switch over to dread and scares. Oh, all right then. That sounds about right. How many How many stories do you have today? Oh, just two. Just just back to good old two. Mm-hmm. Two, mm-hmm. two plus two is our standard. Two plus two any, is Any four. hints about what they're about or no? You're well, going to surprise us. We have to go to that place I don't like called Michigan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm never going to let it go. And then we go to Hawaii. How about I just say mm. those two things? Do- I like the way that they these two stories play off of each other while they're not the same. Yeah. Uh, in story one in Michigan, we have some possible satanic worship situation going on. Interesting. Maybe. Satanic mm-hmm. themes in one of my stories. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And for story two... Did someone witness a modern-day possession? Interesting. Interesting. The devil is alive in these stories. I thought about adding a possession story to today's tale, but did not. So I'm glad you did. Great minds think alike, Dan. (laughs) I have my normal two. Uh, The first takes us to an allegedly haunted hotel in Salem, Massachusetts, Mm. where the ghost of one of the main figures involved in the infamous Salem witch trials may still dwell amongst other spirits. I mean, of course she does. 
Not even a she. This one's a he. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, okay. My next story involves a very unpleasant encounter with entities two young lovers, uh, you know, ran into while exploring the ruins of George's Corpsewood Manor. Okay. So heads up on this story. Uh, a bit more sexual imagery in it than uh, many of our stories so far. Probably any of them. Not, okay. Not X-rated, but, you know, like hard R. Okay. So like because, maybe if you have like a 10-year-old listening, maybe don't yeah, tune in for the second story. Or, unless you're okay with sex. If I'm, I'm, yeah. We're different that way than a totally. lot of people. You know, a lot of people get real hung up on, especially in the U.S., on mm-hmm. sexual stuff. But then we'll watch a preposterous amount of violence. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think violence is probably worse, but, you know, that's, that's me. Yeah, to each his own. I just think... Kids have the internet, and they're mm-hmm. going to find the information that they want. So you can either be the dispenser of yeah. the information. Yeah, control the narrative. At least a little bit. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, the, and, the, and the second story, also the rare true crime and paranormal combo Ooh, for Scared to Death. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're not know. a true crime store. Store. We're not a true crime store. <laughs> we don't We don't have we don't sell, true crime We don't sell crime. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, paranormal, but this mm. one... The backstory is very much a true crime tale. Okay. Are you ready to get started? Yes. Now, I am wearing a skirt today, which some of you can see my legs. Mm -hmm. So I can't lift my feet up because... Dang it. I know. Well, for you, anything. But for them, (laughs) not so much. But look how cute these custom socks are. They say my name. Oh, very cute. They're so cute. And they're um, very warm and fuzzy. Uh, Thank you to fan Bobby Hyden, who made them for me. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, friend. (laughs) Okay, a lot of historical and haunted setup to get through before we... uh, Get to an intense encounter tale here. Really, really cool setup, I think. For many believers in the paranormal, Salem, Massachusetts is a popular destination. It's a city believed to be full of all kinds of ghosts. One of America's oldest cities settled in 1626, and it has one of the strangest histories of any American city thanks to those infamous Salem witch trials. And Salem is not surprisingly, you know, full of supposedly haunted houses with numerous ghost tours, ghost tours you can take to visit them. Perhaps the most haunted of all of its houses is the Joshua Ward House. The 18th century mansion at 148 Washington Street is currently home to the Merchant, a charming little boutique hotel. But after hearing stories of the building's haunted history, you may not want to stay there. Past visitors have witnessed rogue candles flying off the shelves, heard the aching ghostly cries of a child, watched shadowy apparitions walk down halls and through walls, and most unsettling... Some have felt the startling sensation of invisible hands circling their neck and choking them, tightening until they can no longer breathe. That's, oof. Yeah. The lavish three-story home was built for the wealthy sea merchant, Joshua Ward, in 1784. Joshua and so many other merchants were making vast fortunes in Salem in the late 1700s. In the two decades following the American Revolution, Salem's sailing ships returned from China and East India, brimming with tea and spices, silks and porcelain, ivory, gold dust, molasses for rum, and the black gold that was Sumatran pepper. By the early 1800s, Salem was the wealthiest city per capita in the entire United States. I didn't know that. And a lot of money was spent on the Joshua Ward House. Its design, interior woodwork, created by noted Salem architect, Samuel McIntyre. He once designed the vast majority of Salem's elegant homes, and today the McIntyre Historic District comprises 407 homes and buildings. Wow, that's cool. It's very cool. There, uh, The merchant's stunning floating staircase is believed to be the oldest surviving staircase he created. And the Joshua Ward House was one of McIntyre's finest creations. So opulent that even President George Washington paid a visit when he traveled to Salem in 1789. You can now stay in that room. The merchant's George Washington King Deluxe, a second floor room once thought by many to be haunted, 
because for years it held a white marble bust of George Washington. <laughs> and people walking down the street would pause and misstep when they glanced up and spotted, you know, none other than what appeared to be a pale visage of George Washington himself, his ghost, peering out the window. That's funny. <laughs> While there's a reasonable, obviously non-ghost explanation for those sightings, other apparition encounters haven't been so easy to explain away. The roots of other sightings uh, go back far be home, far before the home was built. The property's history dates back to the 17th century beginnings of Salem and to Salem's infamous witch trials. The original building to sit at 148 Washington Street once belonged to High Sheriff George Corwin, and it is his angry, murderous ghost that some still believe they see or feel today. At the age of 25, on May 27, 1692, George Corwin was elected to the position of High Sheriff of Essex County. When Corwin stepped into that position, the Salem witch trials were in full hysteria. They were just a few months underway. Just a few weeks into his new job, uh, into his new job, Corwin would help hang the first victim, Bridget Bishop. Bridget had been accused of bewitching five other local women. The main evidence of her being a witch was the testimony of those who said they saw a shadowy apparition resembling her. Get the fuck out of here. It was pinching, choking, and biting them. Uh, many other innocent women like Rebecca Nurse and Sarah Good were also being charged with casting evil magic on the afflicted over a period of 15 months uh, in what you know a, a period history has largely deemed due to a combination of religious paranoia and possibly an old-fashioned money grab. Oh. Accuse your neighbor of being a witch, get them hanged, and then take their land or goods or both. Whatever the real motivation was, George Corwin seemed to enjoy being along for this ride. Not three months after Corwin stepped into office as high sheriff, he was tasked with transporting five of the most infamous witches to their deaths. On July 19, 1692, Rebecca Nurse, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Howe, Sarah Good, and Sarah Wilds were shoved into wooden carts. Amidst an early morning fog, townspeople lined the streets to watch these carts rumble down the dirt road to a nearby lake, site of their executions. Once the high sheriff Corwin had brought the women to the gallows, Reverend Nicholas Noyes uh, coerced the accused into admitting their guilt, or at least tried to. God. Uh, Noyes, it's N-O-Y, I'm probably saying it wrong. Noyes demanded Sarah Good uh, confess her sins, but she refused, snapping, You are a liar. I am no more witch than you are wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. And with those words, Sarah Good sealed her fate. Corwin positioned her and the four other women above the lake, linking nooses around their respective necks, and then he hanged them all in an especially painful way. The drop was not enough for them to immediately break their necks. Oh, God. Which would have at least allowed for a quick and relatively painless death. No, instead they were strangled. These victims and others would seize and jerk as they were slowly strangled by the rope around their necks. Witnesses assumed that these jerks and twists were signs of the devil exiting their bodies Proof that they were witches. Get out of here. Interestingly, Sarah Good's final words would later come back to haunt the townspeople of Salem when Reverend Noyes did die with a mouthful of blood. Good. According to legend, a blood vessel popped and he died choking on his own blood with many believing Sarah had cursed him. (laughs) I think it's pretty funny. More executions would follow uh, Sarah's and other women who died with her that final or that day. And Corwin would have a sadistic hand in all of them. There are all kinds of rumors about Corwin enjoying his work. Allegedly, his favorite method of dragging confessions out of the accused was to tie them from their necks to their ankles, bending them in half until blood streamed out from their noses. For poor Giles Corey, one of the few warlocks or male witches to be accused during the hysteria, Corwin took things even further. 
On September 17, 1692, 81-year-old Giles, Corey, was tortured to death by being pressed a long and agonizing death. Oh, my God. For refusing to admit any guilt in the nonsensical charges leveled against him. He was stripped naked, ropes fastened his wrists and ankles to some stakes. Laying helpless on the ground, Corwin leveled a flat wooden board atop his splayed body. And then the torture began. One by one, large stones were placed upon the board as a group of onlookers gathered round to watch the proceedings in an open pasture not far from Salem's prison. The hope was for Corey to plead guilty early on, but he refused. Over two full days, he was slowly pressed or crushed to death. He was asked three times during this process to enter a plea. Each time, the man who would soon be found innocent of the charges against him once dead replied, more weight. And the sheriff was happy to oblige. My God. Occasionally, the sheriff would stand upon the board to add more weight to help crush the elderly Giles Corey. At one point, Corey's tongue began to loll from his mouth, a sign that death was soon upon him. And George Corwin then took the tip of his walking stick and used it to crudely shove Corey's tongue back into his mouth. Corey died not long after that, his body thoroughly crushed. His death would be the only pressing fatality to ever occur, thank God, in Massachusetts. Following this brutal execution, High Sheriff George Corwin visited Corey's home and took all the man's money and goods as his own. Asshole. Then he went home to where the Joshua Ward House sits today. A few years later, on April 12, 1696, at just 30 years of age, George Corwin slipped and fell in the snow while at his home, literally dropping dead, supposedly of a heart attack. And there are several legends regarding what happened next. Almost all of them revolve around Philip English. Corwin had a hand in the trials of all 19 deaths of the Salem Witch Trials and over 150 arrests during the same period, including the arrest of Mary English in 1692. And when her husband Philip protested that she was not a witch, he was arrested for witchcraft as well, which is usually how it went. Mary and Philip were never found guilty, but left town after their arrest for months to avoid being charged again during all this hysteria. And then when they returned to their Salem home, they found that Sheriff Corwin had confiscated all their goods. Philip sued him, and long before the lawsuit was settled, his wife Mary died roughly a year after returning home. Sheriff Corwin, who'd made a lot of enemies in a very short period of time, somehow didn't have the money to repay what he'd stolen. Then, when the sheriff died a few years later, Corwin's family supposedly were worried that Philip, still of course furious with Corwin, would literally steal his body, maybe desecrate it. And to prevent this, the Corwin family buried him in the home's basement. Other legends say that Philip ended up stealing Corwin's body anyway, throwing the corpse over his horse's saddle, riding away from Salem with it to do God knows what. Other tellings say the Corwin family interred his body in the family tomb on the property and did not bury him in the basement. Whatever happened, it seems as if Corwin's spirit has not left his former home. Following Corwin's death, his old home would pass through many owners and then would be demolished so the Joshua Ward House could be built where it stood. Over the years, the Joshua Ward House would exist as a tavern, a rare bookshop, uh, several hotels, a multi-unit property with different offices for businesses like Carlson Realty or the Higginson Book Company, and it had other lives before it became the merchant hotel it is today. And all of its lives seem to have been plagued with rumors of ghosts and hauntings. The Salem Pioneer once reported, another sighting, that of the sheriff himself, was said to have been witnessed by a former book publisher. Others who supposedly encountered the ghost of the sheriff claim to have experienced more than just seeing him. They claim to have been strangled. There have been multiple accounts of people experiencing a choking sensation on the second floor of the Joshua Ward House. 
One such, on one such occasion, a visitor was upstairs when all of a sudden he felt an invisible force encircle his throat and squeeze. Air became harder to take in, and he later swore in Robert Cowhill's book, Ghostly Haunts, that his throat closed up entirely. When he twisted around to see who was there, he found an empty hallway. He was completely alone. Others have reported witnessing books being yanked from shelves, cold spots in an otherwise warm room, candles found in pools of wax, even though the candles were never lit. Another ghost said to haunt a Joshua Ward house from the old witch trial days seems to have a strong dislike towards men. There have been numerous sightings of a female spirit as well in the Joshua Ward house, especially on the upper two floors. In the 1980s, Carlson Realty was hosting a massive holiday party when one of the employees snapped a quick Polaroid. Shaking it, the man who took it expected to see the image of a light-haired woman enjoying the party. What he saw instead was a dark-haired woman with rough-hewn features and skin that was so pale and translucent he had to take another look. When Robert Cahill published his book, Ghostly Haunts, he incorporated this photo of the figure and it caught the notice of major TV news stations across the country. And we'll show this photo in a little bit. Uh, Various reports of seeing this dark-haired figure lounging on the second floor have come out since the photo was taken. With most assuming the female spirit must be one of the witches, George Corwin arrested, imprisoned, and killed. If that's true, then it's no wonder that men who visit the Joshua Ward house bear the brunt of the poltergeist activity or experience the uncomfortable sensation that they're being watched or actually attacked. On several instances, men have left with scratches etched into their chests. Now for a modern encounter tale. Time now for the tale of Choked in Salem. Back in 2018, a woman identifying herself only as Kyla claims to have been choked on the second floor of the merchant, a.k.a. the Joshua Ward house. She traveled to Salem for business, writing only that she works in the medical field. She wrote, I stayed in Salem two nights, arriving on Monday afternoon and leaving Wednesday morning. I was familiar with the witch trials, of course, and looking at the website for the hotel before my stay, had read about some of the paranormal history and the history of uh, Sheriff George Corwin, etc., And none of it bothered me because prior to my stay, I had never experienced anything paranormal. As a kid, a few times I was convinced I saw a weird shadow or heard a disembodied voice, but always not long after seeing a particularly scary horror movie or after hearing too many scary legends and stories from friends during a sleepover or whatever. As an adult, none of these childhood scares seemed to really hold up as evidence of the paranormal. And after what I experienced in Salem, I still don't think they hold up. I think I was just a normal kid with a healthy imagination, and I saw or heard things that weren't actually there. I do not think that about what happened at the merchant. The first night I was there seemed pretty normal at the time. In hindsight, I think he may have been in the room with me even then. I lived in Arizona and flew into Boston from Phoenix and then took the train down to Salem. I quickly checked into my room, not having time to do much else other than use the bathroom, freshen up my makeup, before taking a quick Uber over to the North Shore Medical Center for a meeting. After the meeting, me and a group of about eight others went out to a nice dinner, had a few drinks, and then since I was only staying about five blocks away, I walked back to the hotel. Nothing felt odd when I walked up to the old building or headed inside, and nothing felt strange when I walked into my room. It was almost 10 p.m. and I had to be back to the North Shore by 9 a.m. the following morning. I had a bit of work to do before then, so I quickly brushed my teeth, took a shower, and settled into bed. I put the sleep timer on the TV for about 30 minutes and then fell asleep before it went off. But right before I fell asleep, I did feel something. I felt someone. I don't know how to describe it other than it just was a, a, a presence. 
It's so hard to explain. I didn't see anything. No apparition. Didn't hear anything. I just felt like I wasn't alone anymore. I opened my eyes, looked around, didn't see anything, turned on the bedside lamp since the TV wasn't giving off that much light. Um, Of course, didn't see anything still, laughed at myself, turned off the light, started to fall back asleep. And I fell asleep, still feeling, though, like something was off. But it clearly didn't bother me too much because I did manage to fall asleep that night. And that was it for the first night. I woke up the next morning feeling fine, walked across the street and grabbed breakfast at the Front Street Cafe, worked a bit on my laptop at a nearby coffee shop, and then left in time since it was such a nice day for me to walk to the North Shore since it was only a bit uh, or about a mile away. I spent a long day at several meetings, went to dinner with the group afterwards again, had a few drinks, returned to my room with the intention of falling asleep again quickly since I had an early train to catch the next morning. I made sure my carry-on was packed, laid in bed, and put on that sleep timer again. And as I was laying there, thinking that I'd like to come back to Salem sometime else when I didn't have so much work to do, so I could actually explore it a bit, so much history, so cute, I felt that presence again. It made the hair on my arms stand on on end. Like the previous night, even though I felt silly doing it, I turned on the bedside lamp again. And again, I saw nothing, so I turned it back off. And I started to fall asleep. And then, when I was about half asleep, laying on my side, facing the window, it felt like someone started to crawl into bed with me. (sighs) As I started to wake up and roll over, not really expecting to see anyone, I felt hands on my upper back. Oh boy. And I started to panic. I suddenly thought that someone else really was in bed with me. My mind raced, wondering how they could have gotten in so quietly. Were they already hiding in the closet or something when I entered the room? Was I going to die? The hands quickly slid up my back to the back of my neck. I threw my own hands up to try and grab theirs. And then I felt fingers wrapping around my throat and starting to choke me. The fingers felt so cold. I'll never forget that. I tried grabbing their arms to rip them away from my throat to break their grasp, but there was nothing for me to grab. It was so terrifying. I could feel their hands on my neck, just like I'd felt their weight on the bed, but I couldn't touch anything. I couldn't stop them from choking me. I tried to move away from them and managed to get off the bed. I fell to the floor. Their grip was tightening. I thought I was going to die. I now couldn't breathe at all. I pulled myself up to my knees, facing the window, and in a little crack between the closed curtains, with the help of the light from the TV, I could catch a glimpse of my reflection. And behind me, a glimpse of somebody else's reflection. A man. I couldn't make out his features to describe him, but I know it was a man, and I know he was right behind me. And then, still unable to breathe, I passed out. I woke up several minutes later on the floor. My neck throbbed and ached. I quickly turned on the nearest light and then turned on all the lights. I was worried that someone was in the room with me, someone real. I was prepared to scream, but there was no one. My door was also still locked in a way you cannot lock it from the outside. Oh, shit. Once I felt truly confident I was alone, I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw marks, definite red marks where I had clearly been choked. Over the next day, these marks became bruises, faint bruises that lasted for days. I left all the lights on that entire night, never fell back asleep, never laid back down in bed. I got dressed, sat in a chair with my back to the wall, watched TV, and waited to scream if I saw anything else. I couldn't wait to catch the train the following morning. I haven't experienced anything paranormal since that night, and I have yet to return to Salem. Yeah, no shit. I wouldn't be going back. Yeah. And there's numerous uh, uh, encounters, you know, that revolve around, like, people having their necks grabbed in this building. 
I wouldn't stay there. It is a beautiful looking hotel, but yeah. We can visit. If they have a lounge, we can have a cocktail. They have a lounge. I am not staying there. (laughs) I would go to Salem, though. I've never been to Salem. It's really pretty. Well, have you been there? Uh, No, I've seen pictures. I've been to Boston, but not to Salem. I love Boston. Yeah, we've both been there. Yeah. I spent several months working there back in 2007, and I fell in love with it. Such an expensive city. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. I just remember being like, and I lived in LA. Well, I lived in LA at the time, and I remember if I thought that Boston was expensive, it had to be expensive in comparison. I think, I think I did drive through Salem once just doing like these college tours, Mm -hmm. but I, but I don't, I didn't stop. I would go. I definitely didn't see any of the historic stuff. Maybe on our road trip. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. I'll uh, I'll show you a picture of this building. This first picture is the Joshua Ward House. Okay. You know, very um, Massachusetts. Very colonial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just another one here of a little bit more recent. That one's not that far back, but this is, you know, uh, the Merchant Hotel now. Okay. I mean, I get the appeal. If I didn't know about the hauntings, that's totally the kind of hotel that we would stay in. Yeah, it's you small. Know, like, it's only like, I want to say 19 rooms. It's not big. Right. I love a little boutique hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very cool. They usually have great customer service. <laughs> true, true. Uh, this next photo. Now, this is that photo that got passed around in the media. Oh, okay. It is very blurry. There's no, of course. But it's like, this is a picture of that Polaroid. Uh, <laughs> I know. It is creepy. That? Did he? Now, So going, the story is, yeah. there was a light-haired woman who did not look like that woman standing where the picture was taken and that that woman was not at the Christmas party. Okay. That's the story behind it. And I'm sorry, did he say that he took two pictures? No, I think it was just this one Polaroid. Oh, for some reason I thought there was a second photograph because I also feel like ugh, Polaroids are dodgy. I know, I know, I know. It's not, but it's, it's, I, it's still, I include it because it's still creepy. It is real creepy. If this was the world's only evidence of paranormal activity, I'd right. be like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean... <laughs> it is disturbed. There's something very disturbing about it. There is. There is. Uh, and then this it looks like a weird, like Barbie or mannequin or something. Yeah, I don't like it. I, I do not care for it. And then this next photo is uh, just a sketch um, from the Salem witch trials, uh, one of the hangings. Sure, we've we've seen things like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Looks like a, maybe like a wood carving vibe almost to that sketch, that mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was an interesting story because of the combination of the history. Yeah. And then the encounter and how it wasn't isolated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say like, you know, I couldn't like find other, uh, I couldn't get that book, that book that's referenced this Robert Cahill's book where like there's uh, this picture in it and uh, other stories of people being choked. Yeah. It's not a um, ebook. Oh. And it seemed like it was out of print on stuff, you know, paperback. Mm-hmm. I think it was done a while ago. I'm, I'm sure you could find it at random bookstores. Or like a library. Yeah, exactly. But I just didn't have time in the. And the prep to check, you know, other choking stories. But yeah. they're referenced in, in numerous articles. Do you think that there could be um, pilgrim ghosts hanging out in Boston? Yeah, why not? I mean, I guess, you know, if you're going to go the route of there could be ghosts, why, they could be caveman ghosts. They could be any, any different. <laughs> I mean, really, it could be as far True. back as you want. I want there to be like a caveman who goes around killing dinosaurs and like the dinosaurs come back to get him. A dinosaur ghost would be sweet. That would be awesome. Maybe it's like a, a pterodactyl shape. Oh Actually, that'd be terrifying. Who's the Who's the big, <laughs> cute dinosaur? It's like really with the long neck. Brontosaurus? Uh, yeah, he's cute. He's kind of got like a round nose face. I think, yeah. I think he's what the Stinker Station mascot is. <laughs> that's bron- yeah, that's Brontosaurus. He's so cute. I don't think a lot of people know the Stinker Station. It's a, it's a little gas station chain, mostly in Idaho, I think. I don't, yeah, I never heard of it before I lived here. Um... 
(laughs) Okay, so a couple things on witch trials. I feel like I'd be completely fucked. Anytime people talk about witch trials, I'm like, oh, I would have been dead so fast. Oh, yeah. And we covered it on Time Suck a long time ago. yeah. yeah, And if you really go into the witch trials, I mean, it was just a a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. And it was (laughs) the most, it was just true paranoia. Mm -hmm. It was people being convicted of being uh, witches literally because somebody else had a dream about them. Or or claimed, claimed they had a dream about them. So, like, if you if someone really irritated me, I didn't like them, whatever. Yeah, you say, like, oh, they, they pinched me in their dream. Oh, my God. And they get hanged. Betsy Ross over there. She gave me a little pinch. Yeah, if you're high no enough. No flag. If you're high enough in that shirt. And, and there was a lot of stuff where it's, like, you know, maybe um, somebody who was newer to town uh-huh. and, and wasn't as social with the rest of the people. And they were just, like, they were just so paranoid. Yeah. That they're, like, oh, there's something different with her. And then they would just immediately go to, like, it's a witch. It was just a little little fifteen month period, but they went bananas with witch accusations. Hey, and were the witch trials more or less isolated to Salem, or was that something that was kind of they, those things happen- sweeping the nation? No, it was I more mean, isolated to Salem. Okay. I mean, there's a, there's a huge history in Europe uh-huh. of those things going on, and there were a few other. Not the scale wasn't as big that uh-huh. happened in the colonies around that time. Okay. But it was uh, more of a European thing, which makes sense because all those people had just come from Europe. Right. But yeah, you go back into Europe and there's all kinds of witch burnings. Yeah. Hangings, torture. Poor things. Uh, centuries of that. Um, also, that pressing thing. <laughs> right. What? I had never heard of that. Was that like a common thing? No. It was. It, it was. Uh, I mean, not with that particular sheriff, just it was a very in spe- general. It was a very specific punishment for part of the legal proceedings where if you didn't put in a plea at this one specific time, uh, and you ref- and you continued to refuse to put in a plea, which this guy did for days. It was this obscure thing where it's like, well, now we have to press you to try and get this plea out of you. It was to try and force people to plead uh, in their trial. It was just, it was not. They had the dumbest fucking lo- like, you, like when you look around. <laughs> Tell me how you re- really feel. Tell you me. look around the internet today, and you're like, oh my god, there's a lot of crazy people out there with a bunch of dumb ideas, <laughs> uh, which is true. But then if you go back to like Salem witch trials days, it's like. <laughs> They were they were preposterously stupid in some ways, yeah, like that, cartoonishly. I I was just thinking about how long that would take. Mm-hmm. I I would give in. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no. If, if there's ever a time machine, don't ever set it to the past. N- no, just uh, take your chances and go forward because mm-hmm. the past compared to the present is almost always a pile of shit. Yeah, yeah, that's true. People are going to say that about us in a thousand oh, yeah. years. What they had, they had to send emails? Are you kidding me? They couldn't just transmit their thoughts. That oh my sucks. God. Yeah, it's gonna get real weird. I hope I'm gone before it gets too weird. Mm, I want to be a robot, so I'm, I hope I stay. I know you want to live forever, don't I, you? I, I don't know. Some, I go back and forth, but I, I kind of want to be a robot for a little while at least. Mm, no, no thanks. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we could go way into robot talk. I I know we could. That's why I'm saying no thanks. <laughs> and hoping we could just move on. Are you uh, laughing at me? Yeah, yeah, I'm laughing at myself too. You, you ready to move on to that rare true crime and paranormal combo? Sure said I was. All right, we'll hear it right after this quick in-between story sponsor break. And story time is back, creeps and peepers. This story was brought to your uh, our attention, your attention, by Creeper Kai Harris. So thank you, Kai, for the suggestion. Okay, good job, Kai. I mm-hmm. think, I hope. I No, definitely. Okay. Quite a bit of true crime set up here. Dr. Charles Scudder... It's a very interesting story. Okay. Uh, came from a wealthy family and worked as a professor of pharmacology at Chicago's Loyola University. A good job by his own definition. He was described by those who knew him as brilliant, polished, soft-spoken, but confident. But despite having a life many would kill for, great job, great money, big house in Chicago, Scudder eventually wanted to leave all that behind for new adventures. Mm. He grew tired of the city life, and in 1976, he left the luxury of his Chicago mansion in pursuit of something totally different. I'm already suspicious of him. 
Oh, oh, this guy's interesting. Okay. As he put it, Scudder longed for an escape from taxes, light bills, gas bills, water bills, heating bills. Taxes? Was he your dad? <laughs> and, the, and the helpless feeling that resulted from watching my old neighborhood disintegrate. The 50-year-old ended up choosing an isolated spot far, far away from Chicago in the woods of northern Georgia to start a new life. After leaving behind most of his worldly possessions, he headed down south with his lover, Joe Odom, and they constructed a new residence by hand out next to no one in the depths of the forest. And then, as Scudder would later say, within two short years, we were living in an elegant mini-castle. They called their mini-castle Corpsewood Manor. That's a weird name. Named for all the hauntingly bare autumn trees that dotted the land around them. They also soon added a new structure, definitely not found on the properties of most country manors, something not too mini-castle-like, the chicken house. The first floor of the chicken house was, uh, for not a shocker here, poultry. (laughs) A chicken coop took up most of the floor, and the rest of the room was used for food storage. The other two floors had nothing to do with chicken. While a small part of the second floor was used for storing canned goods, the rest of that floor was used to store the couple's vast pornography collection. <laughs> it gets better. This is great. The Porn thir- in the chicken coop. The third floor, the pink room, was a pleasure chamber used mainly for drug-fueled orgies. Just so you know, when you were saying chicken coop, I was not even picturing something big enough that could house... A pleasure chest, a pleasure chamber. Mm-hmm. This is a big structure. Yeah, fairly big. Not well, as yeah. big as you would think. It's a smaller pleasure chamber, but yes. Okay. Um, Scud- on the scale of pleasure chambers, <laughs> it was on the smaller side, I see. Scudder and Odom uh, loved a drug-fueled orgy. Scudder was an official member of the Church of Satan and a true hedonist. Very interesting man. Back at Loyola, he'd performed government-funded experiments with mind-altering drugs like LSD. What? And when he left Loyola for Corpswood Manor, he took roughly 12,000 doses of LSD <laughs> with him. Oh, my God. <laughs> he also took a pair of human skulls oh. and some other interesting occult souvenirs. Okay. Unusual guy in Corpswood Manor, an unusual place. His forest sanctuary was guarded by two mastiffs that he named Beelzebub and Arns- oh, man, Arsenath. Uh, it's H.P. Lovecraft term. A uh, mm-hmm. local legend uh, adds that the pair also told others that they literally summoned a real demon to assist their dogs in guarding their property. Sure. Or at least they thought they had. Scudder and Odom decorated Corpsewood Manor with all sorts of gothic and occult paraphernalia, uh, including the skulls that Scudder had swiped from Loyola, a gargoyle he'd brought from a previous residence. Scudder thought Corpsewood Manor, or thought of it, uh, Corpsewood, Man- Corpsewood Manor, as a mausoleum, a tomb requiring care. Scudder also fashioned a stained glass window adorned with the image of Baphomet, a figure commonly associated with the Church of Satan. Uh, important to note that Scudder, like most other members of the Church of Satan, didn't actually worship Satan. It right. Was, it was instead an atheist who chose to celebrate the world's base, worldly pleasures that he and other church members felt were denied to humans by Christianity and other Abrahamic religions. And celebrate base pleasures at Corpsewood, they certainly did. Scudder and Odom invited many a guest over for wild sex parties held in the pink room. Painted entirely pink, this pleasure chamber was filled with mattresses, candles, whips, chains, tons of pornography, even a log book for listing guest sexual preferences. Oh my god. All above the chicken coop. <laughs> yep. And while all the sex acts that went on there were reportedly consensual, some of the guests were pretty young. Mm. Maybe not young enough for consensual sex to be illegal, but young enough for someone to make a strong case for being taken advantage of by much older men. And one young man who felt he had been taken advantage of came to Corpsewood on the night of December 12, 1982, 
and he and some friends turned what was supposed to be another party in the pink room into a bloody corpsewood murder scene. Oh. The bloodbath was set in motion when 17-year-old Kenneth Avery Brock and his roommate, 30-year-old Samuel Tony West, had come over to the manor several nights prior. Brock had been there several times before for sexual encounters with Scudder, perhaps with Odom as well. And this night, Brock brought West with him for free booze and drugs and whatever might follow. And apparently once there, West made it clear he had no interest in engaging in any kind of homosexual activity. And when Brock told him what he had done on previous visits, West was furious. He convinced Brock that he had been taken advantage of. And pretty soon, Brock agreed. And then he and West decided to leave and return to Corpsewood and rob the two men in their isolated forest home later. And that's just what they did. Brock and West, with two more teenagers named Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens, with them along for the ride, headed to Corpsewood Manor on December 12, 1982, with guns in tow. When they showed up, things did not start off violently. Initially, the four guests acted as if they were just there to hang out and have a good time, maybe head to the pink room, see where the night would take them. They accepted Scudder's offer of homemade wine, as well as his offer of a potent huffing mixture of varnish, paint thinner, and other chemicals. Yeah. And then at some point during their drug and alcohol-fueled haze, Brock got down to business, retrieving a rifle from the car, and he promptly shot Odom and the two dogs. Oh. Brock and West then got a hold of Scudder and demanded he give them whatever money he had, but he didn't have any at the manor. Frustrated, they shot Scudder five times in the head. Holy shit. Took what little valuables they could find lying around and then fled the scene. They all ended up in Mississippi where they killed another man, Kirby Phelps, as part of a robbery gone wrong on December 15th. Afterward, perhaps feeling remorseful, Brock returned to Georgia and turned himself into the authorities on December 20th. West did the same in Chattanooga, Tennessee on December 25th. Eventually, West was found guilty of two counts of murder, sentenced to death. He's currently held at the Augusta State Medical Prison. Brock pled guilty, received three consecutive life terms. He's currently at Georgia State Prison. Wow. And what about Corpsewood Manor? Three years after the murders, the abandoned home burned to the ground. No word on what started the fire. Now only the former ruins of the manor sit surrounded by the Chattanooga National Forest. No one lives on the property, a property that doesn't even have an address anymore. Hard to figure out who owns it. Uh, it's clear that no one cares for it. There are no neighbors nearby, not even a proper road that leads up to the ruins. But there are visitors. Those seeking scares who wander over to the ruins to do a bit of exploring. And there are those a little more brave who will sneak out and spend the night there. Practice a little hedonism of their own, perhaps. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> Time now for a tale of not alone in the woods. Chance and Nikki had been dating for around three months which felt like a long time for the two young University of Chattanooga college students. And now they were taking their first trip out of town together. They'd each told their parents a different story. Chance told his folks he was headed out to hang uh, with his roommate's family down in Rome, Georgia. Nikki told her parents that she was spending a girls' weekend down in Atlanta. In reality, the two had heard the story of Corpsewood and wanted to do some real adventurous ghost hunting. And some other stuff. <laughs> they were frankly looking forward to screwing each other's brains out in the woods. Turned on by the thoughts of the pink house, the two horny 20-year-olds brought along some sex toys with their camping gear, along with some alcohol and some ecstasy. And on a Friday night, after driving down from Chattanooga, which only took a little over an hour, they parked around a mile from the ruins and hiked in after dark. They went in late because they couldn't figure out if the ruins were on private property or not and didn't want to risk getting in trouble for trespassing. Once they made it, they set up a little two-person tent inside some of the ruins to make it less likely they'd be seen by anyone walking by. 
And then they wandered around the grounds a bit, trying to scare each other by talking about the supposed demon Scudder and Omen had supposedly conjured up to guard the property. They made dark jokes about how it didn't seem to have done a very good job. A few random nighttime forest sounds made them jump, and Chance, hiding be- and Chance hiding behind a tree and then lunging out and screaming really made Sarah jump, but they didn't see anything. So they went to their tent, grabbed some vodka mixed with cranberry juice, popped a few ecstasy pills. One thing led to another, and pretty soon, they were both naked. <laughs> then they got out some toys. Pretty soon, Nikki was wearing handcuffs. Chance was holding a vibrating friend Nikki was quite fond of. They thought it would be exciting to take this uh, all outside the tent, where they'd have room to move around, and also be surrounded by the creepy ruins. Oh. Two hardcore creeps here. No peepers. With only their shoes on, they headed out into nature, and pretty soon their bodies were meshed together, Nikki still handcuffed, standing out in the ruins, and that's when they first heard something. The crack of wood, maybe a branch, somewhere out in the darkness. They both froze and looked around. Not seeing or hearing anything else and feeling real good with the E and the vodka and their systems, they quickly got back to it. Then they heard what sounded like someone running past them, maybe 30 feet away. They both froze again. Chance even called out, Hello? Nothing. Nikki started laughing and said, It would be so awkward to meet someone right now. Chance laughed too. Would it ever? They were both probably a little drunk now, definitely a little high. They joked about how crazy what they were doing was, then forgot about the noises and picked off or picked up where they left off. And then a minute or so later, Nikki suddenly said, Well, that's a new move. You haven't tried that out before. Oh my God. Chance asked, What are you talking about? What you're doing with your hand? Didn't know you can multitask like that. Hand, said Chance. Baby, I have both my hands on your hips. Nikki screamed, yelled, what the fuck? And pulled out away from Chance, quickly standing upright. As she did, she heard Chance gasp, holy shit. They both saw a dark shadow now moving away from them. What? Did you see that, Nikki? Chance asked. Get my fucking handcuffs off, Nikki demanded. The key's in the tent, said Chance. Both of them sobering up real quick now. Both starting to feel real stupid about the vulnerable situation they put themselves in. The cracking of more wood snapped their heads towards their tent. Another shadowy figure now lurking next to it. Oh my god, Nikki. Do you, Chance, started? Yes, I see it, she said. I see two. God damn it, Chance. I, I think one of those things was touching me, she added. They both then heard footsteps behind them, spun around to see a third shadowy oh, thing walking past the ruins. They were surrounded, but by what? They were both also naked. Nikki was still handcuffed. Chance, she said, you have to run to the tent. Get the handcuffs, keys, and our clothes. Do it now. Not arguing or thinking, Chance immediately ran towards the tent, straight towards the shadowy figure that did not move away when he approached. Terrified, not knowing uh, what else to do, uh, knowing they just couldn't just stand out naked in the woods all night, he just ran right next to something that seemed to watch him as he passed by. He felt the temperature drop as he drew near it. He pushed on, threw himself inside the tent, grabbed handcuffs, the handcuffs keys, or I'm sorry, grabbed handfuls of each of their clothes. He knew that the key, luckily, was in his pocket. He also scrambled around, grabbed his car keys, wallet, their phones, while Nikki repeatedly yelled, Hurry up! Chance, hurry! Then, as he was taking this all out of the tent, he heard Nikki scream. Oh, God. He popped up, started to run back towards Nikki, who was only about 30 feet away. He could see she was now surrounded by the three shadows. <sighs> now he could hear a low chanting coming from the little circle they'd made. He screamed, Leave her alone! Leave her alone! When they didn't move, he froze and screamed, Just close your eyes, Nikki! Move towards me! We need to get away from where the house was! 
Nikki slammed her eyes shut, stumbled forward, moving past these shadows until Chance grabbed her. He quickly led her through the woods, about a hundred feet as fast as they could move. At first, they both heard footsteps behind them, following them, but then soon the noise began to fade. When they finally stopped to look around, the shadows were now gone. No sounds either. Chance now got the handcuffs off of Nikki. They both threw on some clothes, turned on their cell phone flashlights, and examined the area. And Nikki saw them again. Oh my god! Those shadowy figures back by the ruins, standing by their tent. Fuck that, said Chance, who now saw them as well. Let's go. And that's exactly what they did. They left some backpacks behind, some booze, some pills, the tent, a few sex toys, in the ruins of Corpsewood. They made it to Nikki's car, drove back to Chattanooga that night. Chance wanted to talk about what they'd experienced. Nikki did not. That night proved to be too much for their young, newish relationship. Each reminded the other of what had happened in the ruins, and they just couldn't get past it and were broken up within a week. No word on whether or not either of them ever went back there, or if either of them ever felt felt comfortable getting naked out in the woods again. Guessing getting handcuffed out in the woods was for sure off the table after that. I mean, I would hope so. Eek. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's a whole book on that Corpsewood Manor. Really? Uh, not the paranormal parts. I mean, there is, like, you know, in various forums or whatever you can find, like, encounters. Yeah. But there's a book on the the whole story about these guys moving out there, building this, having their orgies, inviting locals over for, like, you know, weird occult kind of themed orgies. All You know, all the LSD, yeah. huffing weird chemicals, all kinds of crazy shit. I should have asked you before we got too into it, but uh, the the guy who left Scudder? Yes. I didn't realize that Joe was a boy. I thought Scudder oh, yeah, I was, thought was Joe him was a his, girl. Mm, yeah, I, I guess it should have been. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny that words like that, when you see it, like, you know, with the E, you're like, oh, it's a guy. And then it made it clear in uh, articles. No, that was, um, yeah, he was, they were, they were homosexual. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. I got that. that they were, and, and, yeah, and so, like, when they would invite the orgies, it, yeah, was, I got it was dudes once, only. Once you were, once we got further oh, along, got it, but I yeah. was like, wait, what? Okay, okay. Yeah. And, and and there were, you know, just sounds like based on kind of who they let out there and mess up, you know, that never any allegations of anything uh, illegal. I don't know what the age of consent was in Georgia that time. I'm guessing mm-hmm. um, 16 or younger even, mm-hmm. you know, in some place in the South. But, you know, the uh, the in the sources I looked at for the story didn't really matter. I didn't find Odom's age. But, you know, Scott was in his 50s. So at the very least, it, it I don't know. What do you say? Like creepy? Poor taste just to be... Fucking uh, creepy. In your 50s, preying on 16, 17-year-olds and feeding them chemicals. and. Well, I, I yeah. also had a problem with Brock and Wes. What the fuck is a 17-year-old doing living with a 30-year-old? Now, that relationship was not sexual, it seemed, by the sources. It's but still it's, weird. It's weird, but I'm guessing, you know. If Kyler is 15, are you letting him live with a 30-year-old? No, but I'm strongly guessing that the 17-year-old in this situation did not have a strong family unit around them. He, he probably not, but Might, it's still. Yeah, yeah. I, I also thought it was weird that not only... Was, was Brock a teenager? There were two other teenagers mm-hmm. with, I was like, it just made me flashback. And not, sure, why is a 30-year-old hanging out with three teenagers? Right, right. Like, what are right. you? And somebody else was murdered a few days later. So what kind of influence is that person? Yeah. To me, it really he read as like. a good guy. It doesn't no, feel like it. No, no, this wasn't some, I don't think so either. It, it doesn't read like some noble friend mm-hmm. who's like, hey, hey, buddy, I'm, I want to look out for you. This guy's taking advantage of you. It read like. This these people seem like they have money. We could get some of their shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's my way to get this person to help me come rob them? Mm-hmm. Hey, they've been taking advantage of, which isn't necessarily wrong, right? But um, but then when they left, you know, they go uh, hold up somebody else. Yeah, Kirby, and, and, Kirby, and that person gets killed. So I, yeah, I don't get the feeling that that they're 
good, good people. Yeah, the 30-year-old wasn't great. Yeah. It wasn't a good influence on the 17-year-old. And I don't care what you say, like, he's still a kid. Right. You know, and so you, I think you should be cognizant of that fucked up home life or whatever mm-hmm. the, the scenario yeah, is. He was taken advantage of by multiple people, it seems exactly. like. exactly. And he's, and he's been in prison ever since. Oh, God, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. What a waste of a life. Yeah. I had so many uh, offshoot thoughts. I know we, we want to get to the pictures, but mm-hmm. I just need to share them. Yeah. When I was 16... I was definitely hanging out with somebody who was like 27. And I remember my mom being... <laughs> I know, you've told me that. I, I furious. I remember, I was like, it's not a big deal. And I'm like... Well, of course, as a kid, you don't think so. You're like, this is cool. Well, even like five years ago, now that we have kids that are eking yeah. closer to the age where I did some really fucked up things, I'm like, oh, I see. Uh-huh. <laughs> not good I know, that does get weird when you get older. We're like, yeah. you feel so old at like, you know, sometimes even like 13, 14. Like, yeah, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so mature. Shit. And then you see that age now, and you're like, what? Look at that teeny tiny little person. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and even when they're physically, like, bigger, it's like, but emotionally and stuff, you can only be so mature at that oh, age. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you, you just haven't had a life experience. And you just don't know. I mean, I see it with our kids all the mm-hmm. time. You know, it's it's totally fine. And then I'll tell you after, um, I just want to share something about Mississippi State Prison. Okay. Okay. Uh, this first picture is of Corpsewood Manor. Okay. And it is so weird. Like, it is so out in the woods. I, I could not figure out how they even got a permit or and they built whatever. That? They built that. By hand. Yeah, that's what it says. Like, they built it. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people fuck? say, like, we built it by hand. I'm guessing they had some construction help. That, that's a brick, it's a big brick structure. Yeah. I don't, that's like masonry. I'm guessing they helped. And Come some, on. And some local contractors did at least some of the work. Okay. Um, yeah, but, but I just don't understand. Like, it's not in a neighborhood at all. It's out in the woods. And, and then, okay, here, this next picture is uh, a picture of the chicken house where the pink room was up top. Oh, it, it is definitely. How many mattresses could you fit on the third I know. floor of that? It's, it's like a creepy tree fort. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What if we just started having drug-fueled orgies in our tree house? When the kids move out. That's when you convert it into the drug-fueled orgy place. The moment anybody says drug-fueled orgy, John Huck. He has a great joke about it. He has it. a great joke about that. Mm-hmm. Our friend, a carrot, uh, carrot-fueled orgy. Yeah, he, yeah, about like how else are you supposed to describe it? He's like, what other kind of orgies are there? Who's, who goes to a carrot-fueled orgy? Like, a, oh, I can yeah. see in the dark. Or something about like a bean. A, a, <laughs> a bean-fueled orgy. No one's going to that. He's so funny. He is. Uh, this next one is a picture of some of the ruins uh, you know, the, all the remain of corpse wood today. That that looks pretty damn creepy. Mm-hmm. And I am not fucking anywhere near that. <laughs> I would be worried just about disease. <laughs> it just looks <laughs> dirty. Uh, there's one more picture of the ruins. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's not much left. And what was that supposed to be like? Some sort of weird. Mm, that was a, that was part of the uh, the home structure. I saw it in the beginning, but yeah. it almost I don't know looked unfinished to begin with. Yeah, yeah, the top of it was there was a gargoyle up on top of it that didn't really show up that well oh, in the picture. Maybe and stuff. it was going to have like a dome, and it was going to be some sort of garden, mm. like, like a not garden gazebo. Yeah, but yeah. of a more sustainable structure. Uh, and then this next uh, picture is a sketch of Baphomet. So they had this in their stained glass window. That's normal. <laughs> and then uh, this next picture, this is just what came up when I was looking at all these other pictures. I just randomly Googled porn shack in the woods. So I was thinking about their chicken house. <laughs> how fucking creepy is that little cabin? Oh, my God. How, or just how creepy is, is it that that cabin comes up when you Google porn shack in the woods? Yeah, that's real what, fucking creepy. What dark shit has gone on in that cabin? I'm trying to, there's some movie or some book that I read that has some, that like, that immediately I was like, oh, 
it's from that book, but I, I don't remember mm. what it was. Just some, you know, yeah, fictional, nonsensical, disconnect yeah, yeah. kind of kind of book. Um, okay, this is so randomly off topic, mm-hmm. but because you're talking about those two guys being in prison, I believe yeah. that it's Mississippi State Prison that is the oldest prison and is like the living conditions are so fucking vile oh the oldest prison in the u.s mm-hmm. or, yeah. exi- or still existing or whatever yeah, longest something running like, something like that something like yeah, that it would have been the east coast that had been the oldest but yeah yeah it's really f- sort of fascinating um i'm obsessed with this podcast i was listening to forever louder than a riot i bet it's the longest running that, that would make sense oh it's so good like their tagline is uh where rhyme and punishment meet and it's all about uh rap and the hip-hop culture mm-hmm. and its intersection with police and just the black culture and how it affects different things and it was yeah, just you've been into that podcast for a while well yeah because you know i stop and start stop and start it's like yeah. i don't really have time to listen to anything so it's usually like 10 minutes here and 10 yeah. minutes there and when it's an hour episode it's hard to get through it but it was really really well done and that's where i learned that thing about mississippi and uh-huh. i was just kind of you know the the yeah anyways but the last episode was very like yeah but they're still humans like prison or not and i tend to be sort of like well what'd you do to put yourself there but like listening right. to that podcast made me think like you fucking ignorant asshole how dare you say that how dare you like talk about me, yourself yeah yeah like because it's everything is not fair in the world true true uh, so for me to automatically assume that someone in prison deserves to be in prison because they were arrested on some crime isn't necessarily right. true like if i got pulled over and arrested for having a small amount of weed in my car which could happen because it's illegal mm-hmm. in Idaho, and then I got sent to prison. I wouldn't want someone else being like, "Well, what'd you do to get there?" Right, right. I mean, yeah, there, there's a story with everybody. Yeah. It's, it's just it, interesting. It just sheds yeah. some light on some very yeah. interesting things. We all have our our line. There, there are definitely some people whose rap sheets. When I do read them, I'm like, "Yeah, I fuck them." Oh my god, yeah. Especially when you start to get into like kid diddling and mm-hmm. rape, murder, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that people deserve to be in prison for. Anyways, really good podcast. Just, just. Throwing it out there if you want something totally different. Uh, all right. Who's your squishy friend this week? Mm. Squish, squish. I'm go with Kruger. Go with little, little Freddy Kruger. Do you think that um, <laughs> sometimes I kind of wish that Layla behind you would come to life? I mean, it would be exciting. I would shit my pants if all of a sudden Layla flew across the room. Like, <laughs> like you pick another squishy and she's mm-hmm. like, how dare you? Just, just as furious. Yeah, she's also like at your head level, so and she could just like whack you in the back of the head. Any of these things like coming to life, just animating well, themselves the would be... fucking doll fu- but fell I mean, down. But, but what if even more than that? If as it like scary, As scary as it would be, it would also be one of the best experiences of my life if one of these dolls just walked across the table on its own. I don't think... And I'm, somebody else saw it and verified that I hadn't just lost my mind. I don't think I would qualify that as, quote, one of the best oh, experiences of my life. Some of the coolest shit life. ever. Uh, people usually say, like, oh, what was one of the coolest things in your life? Oh, the day I got married. Not mm-hmm. a doll walking across a desk on its own. Ooh. Uh, I just picture myself right now putting a list together. It's like, you know, like my marriage day, uh, the birth my of my marriage day, your <laughs> wedding. <laughs> wedding day, my, the kids' births, and then, and then doll walking across the table on its own. And I'm just like, I have to put them in order. And I'm just like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. It's like marriage day or vagina push out day. <laughs> I figure like the doll would be number one in like the initial list. <laughs> and then I'd have to cross it out because I know people are going to read it. And then I'd move it down to number oh, Good four. Lord. All right. Let's get into it, Dan. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, you know that I hate going to Michigan, but... Because of your Buckeyes I know. It's, well, and then in. they sent me the Michigan socks. I mean, it's a whole mm-hmm. thing, you know? Um, but, no, but really, this story actually flashed me back to Dice Road. Oh, yeah. Which was quite creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
Yeah. And just before we dive in, I wanted to ask you, do you think that you've ever been privy to witnessing any sort of satanic behavior? Like, cult, mm. you know, culty? No. I, feel, I can see a hair out of the corner of my eye. Uh, you've never been to like a satanic temple or anything like that? No. Huh. I mean, I, I know they have like rituals, you know, some of the satanic groups, but, I, but I've never seen anything. Well, yeah, I just think that like religion also has its rituals as well. Yeah, I've never seen any culty ritual like in real life. Okay. I mean, I've seen people uh, in airports and traveling around where I'm like, what's, what's that person going to do? Sure, like, sure. They just have like an odd, like uh, very specific haircut and mm-hmm. kind of garb. And I'm like, that's that's not a random fashion choice. Mm. Choice. That's you're in a, you live Does in a compound feel, or something. It feels culty to you? It feels culty. I mean, it, it, I'm thinking of a very specific look. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I guess. But I've never, I've never walked up, uh, you know, and seen or been anywhere and seen like people in robes chanting, you know, and just like, whoa, what's going on there? Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to do Kundalini yoga in mm-hmm. L.A. and the yoga masters, the like the highest level, they all wear white and they wear the white mm. turban, and it's a kind of yoga that focuses on the vibrations of your voice. So there is a lot of like humming and chanting. Oh, I can just picture you walking in there, just nope. like couldn't handle it. No, there's no way. I'd you, walk right back out. You'd be laughing like, so hard. Yeah, I, there's no no part of me could take that seriously. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe maybe you'll feel differently about chanting after this. Okay. Uh hey, Dan, Lindsay and the Scared to Death crew. This year has sucked major balls. Obviously, this came in last year. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank each of you for giving me a healthy escape during these trying times. Yes. The realness of your relationship is evident, and I'm glad you keep it so real on the podcast and choose not to edit out your disagreements and bickering. <laughs> It's so refreshing to see other people fight with their significant others for being an idiot or an <laughs> asshole. You can still say I love you to them and move on with life just as it should be. Did you point at me for both of those? Oh, I was just like rattling mm, them off. Okay. I have a strong... I'm sorry. I have a story about some weird shit some friends and I witnessed in the summer of 2015. I have no need for anonymity, so feel free to say the names and locations as needed. In the summer of 2015, my uncle inherited a few acres of land in Atlanta, Michigan, which is way the fuck up in the middle of nowhere. The land had an old trailer, an outhouse, and a few tree stands for deer hunting on it. There is a large lake at the back of the property and a creek leading to it. There is a small clearing where the trailer sits right by the lake, but the rest of the property is heavily wooded. The nearest neighbor is about a half a mile down the road, and the nearest town is another 25 to 30 minutes away fairly secluded, but you still see and hear more people than bears most of the time. Because it had been a while since anybody had been to the property, my uncle knew work would need to be done around the area to make it habitable for hunting season, which was just a few months away. I offered me and my friends services in clearing the driveway and cutting down grass and cattails and other odds and ends around the property in exchange for him allowing for us to camp up there over the weekend. My uncle readily accepted, but told me to make sure we stayed on his property the whole time. He said that he was worried that one of us would be confused for wildlife and shot by one of his crazy neighbors. (laughs) You have to be crazy to live up there full time. We agreed because none of us wanted to be buried in some prepper dude's garden. (laughs) We set off for the next, we set off the next weekend, three of us in total. When we arrived at the driveway to the property, it was so overgrown and had so much debris. I wondered if this even was a driveway at all. Upon a little searching, I found the chain stretched across the driveway, as well as the key to unlock it, right where my uncle had told me it would be. Since this was indeed the place, we immediately went to clearing out to clearing it enough to get our truck back onto the trail. It took about two solid hours of sawing and hauling down limbs before we saw any signs of clearing. We were so happy when the truck finally made it through. We piled a ton of wood to make a campfire and put up our tents immediately. 
Although it took a fair amount of work to get there, we were, all in all, in good spirits, happy to relax the rest of the day away. That night, we were sitting around the fire, sipping beer and moonshine, when we heard a shrieking noise come from far off in the woods. It wasn't loud enough to be startling. However, we all quieted and tried to listen closely and see if we could figure out what was making the noise. We sat quietly for several minutes, but whatever had made the noise had stopped or moved out of our hearing range. Soon after, we decided to turn in for the night, knowing the next morning would be busy with more groundskeeping. The next morning went as well as it could have, considering we were all pretty hungover and none of us had had blackout tents. After lunchtime, we realized we had brought way more alcohol than water. The, (laughs) The push mower was also out of gas. My buddy Tony decided to head to town and resupply. Tony wasn't gone for more than a few minutes before he came back to camp with a concerned look on his face. What's up, man? I asked. I just saw like five totally blacked out SUVs coming down the road. I had to wait for them to go by at the end of the driveway, Tony said. We just kind of looked at each other and shrugged it off. Tony left again after a few minutes. He seemed a bit shook up, but didn't say more about it. Something just didn't feel right, though. The road we were on was an old fire trail. It was not a well-taken-care-of road, and the max speed for a 4x4 was about 20 miles per hour. I kind of understood why Tony found it so strange to see a caravan of SUVs coming quickly down the road. About an hour later, Tony was back with more supplies. We finished up the groundskeeping and went back to drinking and setting shit on fire. (laughs) That night, we were all feeling pretty toasty, eating kebabs and shooting the shit. I had gone off to pee against my favorite pea tree and stare at the stars for a while when another shriek cut through the night. This time, it was slightly different. It didn't seem closer or louder, But instead, it sounded terrified. All of us shut up and listened closely. The woods were so silent that my ears were ringing from the deafening lack of sound. Then another scream ripped out, No! Still terrified, still far away, my friends and I looked at each other collectively and said, Fuck this. Liquid courage was coursing through my veins, and I had an uncontrollable urge to see what the hell was going on. Our friend Ben stood still, staring into the woods, also wanting to know more. Tony, on the other hand, was saying fuck this for the opposite reason, as he was already starting to pack up his stuff and throw it in the truck. To be clear, none of us were in any condition to drive. Ben and I convinced Tony to chill out and stay by the fire while Ben and I went to see if we could figure out what was going on. Tony wasn't happy about it at all, but we were convinced of two things. One, Tony's being a little bitch. (laughs) And two, there is no way we're going to die. Ben and I decided to walk down the road towards the screaming because we're not bitches and we definitely weren't going to die. I was, it was approximately 10.30 or 11 p.m. It was beyond dark. We weren't hearing any noises until we made it to the next driveway. Through the trees, far off in the distance, we saw light coming from a fire. Ben and I stood at the end of the driveway trying to decide whether or not to continue walking towards the fire. The longer we stood there, the more creeped out we got, but neither of us wanted to be the one who backed down first so we quietly made our way up the driveway towards the fire. As we got closer, those blacked-out SUVs came into sight, all of them parked in a line along one side of a very large clearing. In the middle of the clearing was one of the biggest bonfires I'd ever seen. Surrounding the fire pit were stone benches forming a semicircle. No one was in sight, and we couldn't hear anything other than the roaring fire. We continued down the path, doing our best to stick to the shadows. Once we made it to the clearing, we both started circling it at a distance, staying in the woods, just in case. We still didn't see anyone, but we could now see a medium-sized brick building in the back of the clearing. 
It looked like a substation building as it had no windows and just a steel door. Even though we hadn't seen anything, I was absolutely shitting myself. I wanted to go back to camp and pretend I had never heard anything, but I did my best to suppress my inner bitch and kept creeping around looking for indication of life. We eventually made it to an area in the woods about 20 feet from the building when it started when we started hearing music or something coming from inside the building. I don't want to say we heard chanting because the sound that sounds even more ridiculous, but it was rhythmic and sounded like several people singing at once in a low baritone. We stopped to listen while giving each other the what the fuck look, and just then the door swung open and we dropped to the ground. From the doorway, a man wearing a red robe stepped into the glow of the fire. He was followed by a small parade of people that went in in this order. Two men in black robes, one naked woman, and two more men in black robes. The men were still singing, but the woman was silent. She looked drugged. Her head was rolling from side to side on her shoulders. They walked in a straight line, follow the leader style, around the side of the building towards the lake. When the last man in line turned to shut the door to the building, he made eye contact with me as I silently filled my shoes with urine in the woods just 20 feet away from him. Then he simply turned away from us and fell in line, continuing to sing. I know he saw me, but for whatever reason, he decided not to break character or disrupt their weird culty antics. A few moments later, all the singing faded and they disappeared off towards the lake. Ben and I finally decided to get the fuck out of there. I know, sorry it took me so long. As quickly and quietly as we could manage, we made our way back to the road and then sprinted back to our camp. Out of breath, we arrived to a very pissed off Tony, who is more ready to go than ever. Although we were freaked out, we were also still too drunk to drive. We decided to stay the night at camp and pack up first thing in the morning. None of us slept that night, sure that we would be murdered in our sleeping bags by a group of hooded men. The next day, we didn't speak much to each other. I couldn't help wondering if what we had seen was real or not. When we got back to cell phone reception, I called my uncle and asked him if he'd ever seen anything weird out there before, describing to him what we had witnessed the night before. He assured us that the only weird group around that area was a hippie commune, which was probably not who we saw in the woods that night. I have since stopped drinking. I often (laughs) wonder if I witnessed some horrible crime being committed that night. None of us have really spoken about what we saw then, and none of us have gone camping since. Tom. Wow. I mean... It's, it's, first of all, it's hilarious. Right. Yeah Tom, yeah, Tom is very funny. Tom is very funny, and I felt like I was listening to a story you were telling me from your childhood. It sounded <laughs> like we were drinking and setting shit on fire. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that, I mean, he, he. who knows what they saw because, I mean, while it is very rare, you know, most, uh, you know, when you, when you dig in, like, we've just dug into cults so much on Time Suck mm-hmm. and their ritual and just rituals of, like, secret groups, I guess, you know, more. Most of those secret rituals, especially with, like, a Church of Satan type thing, are, are pretty harmless. It's all symbolic. Mm-hmm. You know, the Church of Satan, they'll have sometimes, well, Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, his branch would have, like, naked high priestesses. Yeah. They, they would just, like, kind of, all of it was done to mock uh, Catholic rituals. Mm-hmm. And so there would be, you know, uh, very hedonistic type things and a lot of nudity and sexual imagery, blah, blah, blah. But then there also has been, you know, so recently in the world, random, you know, examples of people who think that if they sacrifice somebody, they will get power. I mean, human sacrifice, while very rare now, mm-hmm. still does happen occasionally. <sighs> so they could, and, and what's crazy is it used to happen like hundreds of years ago in certain parts of the world, like the Aztecs, they did it constantly, yeah, yeah. you know, sacrificing people on altars and stuff. 
And, and there's examples like that from all over the world, you know, Europe, different little clans and stuff doing human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it is weird to think that sometimes it still does happen. Yeah. You'll read a news story like Brazil or somewhere. Oh, God. Well, I did out of my own curiosity. Mm-hmm. I started looking like 2015 unsolved murders, Atlanta, Michigan. I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug and I couldn't find anything. There mm. are plenty of unsolved murders in Atlanta, Michigan, but none that lined up with, you know, location, time, right. date, any of that. So I did. I did feel good. I wanted to let Tom know. I don't I don't think that he should feel anything about like, well, should I have reported to the police or anything? Right. It's like. I'm going to lean towards what you're saying and that it was just some, some weird sex stuff, some weird sex stuff or some weird, you know, culty. Yeah. Symbolic of something. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, <laughs> just to make it uh, morbid again Ugh. to go the other way. I do think about, you know, when there's um, serial killer investigations, because, you know, we've covered so many of those, too. Mm-hmm. And there, for every crime that they solve, there are so many like examples of they confess to this murder, but the person was never they never find the remains. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's all these unsolved, you know, uh, disappearances that they want to connect right. them that they can't. I don't know what the numbers are, but they're, well, they're you not know, great. Yeah. Every year there is a tremendous amount of disappearances and only, mm-hmm. you know, most people do get found. But but even when you find most the the small percentage of people who are never found is still pretty substantial. Yeah. And it is is truly example. We've used this for extraterrestrial possible abductions. Mm-hmm. They could also be cult sacrifices. I mean, you really don't. You really don't ever, know. Ever You're know. right. You're right. Yeah. When, Odds are small. But, when, but yeah. When I was looking for unsolved cases, there was like this list. So creepy. So weird. Of course, somebody compiled this. Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. Michigan's 15 most prolific serial killers. And I was like, wow, Michigan pumping out 15 prolific serial killers. Good for you. Oh, there's, like, there is but so I'm many sure there's a list ones. like that for every fucking state. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it just was, I don't want to sound naive, but it was just kind of shocking. I was like, dang. And right. some of these guys, as I was, because I thought, well, like, maybe, because there was a little caption, I thought, well, what if it says, like, you know, would perform weird satanic things yeah. or what have you? None of it lined up. But some of these guys, as I was looking at their pictures, I'm like, I would totally trust you if I saw you in a grocery store. Oh, like, yeah. Like a guy that looked like a, he was a pretty heavy set guy, but he was like a, he was wearing a polo that made me think he was like a football coach or something. Like he just mm. had this like specific look. And he was a Michigan serial killer? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the co-ed killer, if that's who you're thinking about. No, Ed Kemper was uh, California. He was Central California. Oh, no, there was another, he, he, no, the dorm killer. This, there was huh. one guy in Michigan that had like a name that made me mm. think of something that I think you'd covered before. But I was just like, ugh. Like, yeah. you, you totally look like a guy that I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's a teacher at my school. That, that was the fascination about Bundy. Mm-hmm. Because he was, uh, you know, like some sometimes, well, like Richard Ramirez right now, the Night Soccer, that that, yeah. that uh, new series on him is popular on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. And he was like the cartoonish one where it's like you look at him, you're like, well, fucking yeah, of course. Yeah. Like he looks like an evil motherfucker. And he was like, mm-hmm. he, he just looked like something was wrong with him. Yeah. And then but then like Bundy was that random example where it's like, nice, no, you know, he was a smart, charming dude. Yeah. What mm-hmm. will they say about you? Uh, when, when they finally catch me, mm-hmm. uh, I think they're just going to say like, you know, he joked about it all the time. Yeah. He tried to make it like he tried to normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that way, you know, he, and he's constantly deflecting. He's mm-hmm. pointing out other serial killers. And to he's really like handsome. But hide, like hiding in plain sight. Right. So yeah, handsome. Kind of handsome, but also fucking creepy. You right. know, like a, a crazy a weird, eyes. Mm-hmm, weird yeah. vibe. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the stupid joke I tried to pull recent times. Like I kept thinking about it. And it's, it's only funny to me. Okay. I just kept inserting my dad, oh, your dad? into Actually, a story. I thought it was funny too because I heard you doing it and I was dying. <laughs> but I wonder if it's one of those jokes where it's like it's only funny it's to another inside. person. Yeah, it's yeah. too inside. But I just like I, I had to fight from keeping doing this story. I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, we don't know what people do. Like I don't know where my dad is a lot of times. You know, <laughs> God knows what he's up to. <laughs> but if people knew more of the stories of your dad, maybe yeah. it would be funnier. <laughs> like people don't generally get put in prison overnight for their own safety, but your dad does. 
in a different country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, we don't know. We weren't there. <laughs> we don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. Get a lot of interesting stories. Oh, lordy, lordy. Okay. So this story also sent me down a rabbit hole. So, okay, we're off to Hawaii. And I find this to be so spoopy. Like, that first story was definitely scary. But the way it was written obviously had some, yeah. some levity to it. Um but I, I think that we both can agree that Hawaii is a hot spot. Yeah, it comes up a lot, which I never would have expected before the show. Oh, okay. That's interesting that you say that because I would have absolutely ex- expected it. Pearl Harbor. Like, you've got yeah. so many people that died. Yes. So if we're thinking like, you know, people come back from the dead and then the Polynesian <sighs> culture. Well, died well, in a horrible way because people die every pl- everywhere. Well, I know, but, but yes. I'm just saying like it was a mass. Yeah, yeah. Tragic, a mass, yeah. tragic, mm-hmm. you know, terrible. A lot of, you know, various... Walks of life, you know, it wasn't, yeah, anyways. Uh, The Polynesian culture, they have a lot of, like, belief in spirits. Oh, okay. So, like, it just has always Mm -hmm. made sense to me that Hawaii would be, even if it wasn't super active, which it is, that it would be super open to. I only only think of it vacation-y-wise. So, I just think of it as, like, it's light and beachy and, you know, there's fun drinks and... But don't you think, like, what about... Locomoco, tasty, you know, gravy bowls. You do love Locomoco. But when you go to a luau, it's like, Mm. and they're performing their traditional dances and whatnot. It's like, that's something, as far as I know, that they have always done. And Mm. it's like, you know, praying to their gods. Oh, yeah. So I think I just, we, you just take it as like fanfare. It's like, oh, okay, they're roasting a pig for me. Exactly. I literally just associate. I think the dancing, I'm like, man, some pork and pineapple would be so good right now. <laughs> You're such an ass. Okay. Well, anyways, I'm not mm-hmm. surprised that this story happens. Uh, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Let me start off by saying I'm an officer in Hawaii, not mentioning which island I'm on. I will go by Officer M to protect my identity. I should be typing my reports right now, but let's just do this first. Just began listening to podcasts in general, and I found yours about a month ago and am already caught up on all the episodes. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Pretty pretty impressive because I couldn't do it. I work overnight, so I listen to you both while getting scared shitless while patrolling the streets. I absolutely love your podcast, and in case you can't tell, I'm a total creeper. This incident happened approximately five years ago. I was assigned to a disorderly case call. This call from a guy, Darren who was calling to say that his girlfriend Karen was acting very strange and not at all herself. While en route, my partner and I were notified that the call had been upgraded to an emergency. Karen was now going crazy. Darren was holding her down so she didn't hurt herself, and when we arrived, Karen was trying to escape Darren's grasp, going absolutely apeshit. We detained her and placed her in handcuffs. At this point, the scene is fairly safe, and I began taking in the room. I noticed that their TV, iPad, basically any and all other electronics were facing screen down. Strange, but I didn't think much of it at the time. We called for medics to come assess Karen's situation. We got her up to walk over to the medic's rig as they arrived. Karen balled up her feet the way you would make a fist, only with her feet, and began walking on top of her feet without showing any signs of pain at all. She is simultaneously contorting her arms in a way where her cuffed hands are almost able to reach behind and grab mine. We finally get Karen into the rig and we strap her down to the gurney to keep her and the medics safe. While she was sitting in the rig, I could feel her staring at me. I looked up towards her and her eyes locked. She had this dead-eyed stare that I'll never forget. It was as if she was looking into my soul, ready to devour it. It was so fucking uncomfortable I had to look away. I asked my partner to look at her. I needed someone else to see what I was seeing. My partner gave her one quick glance and confirmed that she looked absolutely insane. 
the medics transported Karen to our local hospital. And the very next day, I visited the house and met up with Darren's father. I asked him why had all the electronics been facing screen down the night before. He told me that Karen was telling them that she could see devils and demons coming out of the screens. What in the actual fuck was going on here? A couple weeks later, I met up with the medics who had transported Karen to the hospital. The medic related to me that shortly before reaching the hospital, their rig had gotten so damn cold it felt like a freezer inside. In that moment, Karen looked at the medic and began to screech in Latin in a demonic voice, scaring the fucking shit out of the medic. Once they got to the hospital, they took her inside and Karen was suddenly herself again. She was asking where she was and what was going on. She had no recollection of what had just happened. Holy fucking shit. Had Karen just been possessed by the devil? Officer M. Crazy. Is that so crazy? The, the, the walking on the balls, are like like the feet curled up is what is just like, wait, what? Because like the electronics thing, like all, you know, face down. That just read to me is like, you know, mental illness. And there is Paranoia. That, yeah. And there, and there is that debate, you know, with mental illness and, you know, uh, possession mm-hmm. constantly. But, but when it's weird physical details mm-hmm. where it's like, uh, you know, necks bending in ways that necks aren't supposed to bend. Well, her feet arms. bending, arms bending in ways. It's like, where? what is that about? Right. Like her arms handcuffed and behind her back. And then languages. she can like. She's, she can almost like reach him. Like you're. Yeah. I, I am not that flexible and I'm flexible. And when you add the languages, I mean, we don't have uh-huh. the details with this situation, but there have been lots of cases where there's. Ooh. ooh okay. Yeah. I don't know. That's out. weird. Something touched my back. Where there's other people in the room, you know, that will uh, that be was, there. Sorry. That was so weird. <sighs> There'll be other people in the room that speak those languages. Uh-huh. And they'll they'll be like, oh no, they're speaking fluently in you know French and in Latin and in you know like blah blah, blah these other languages. Uh huh. And and then uh, they talk about the person's family. Like, there's no way this person knows these languages. Right. You know what the what? fuck just touched my back? I didn't see anything. I don't know what's going on with Ooh, you over there. Okay, that was so uncomfortable. It's like a little tickle on my back. Like Weird. right, like you know, like the fatty part of the back of your. My, like, my back's all muscle. I don't know. <laughs> like between your shoulder blades, it's like where most people would get like a humpback. That little mm. spot. That was fucking uncomfortable. Yeah, you're weirded out. Yeah. I'm going to try something... to hold the tears in. <laughs> oh, God. It's going it... to be a long night for you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I know. Sometimes those... You know what's interesting? Like the... Oh, buddy, what the fuck was that? Uh, on the possession... When I was thinking about a possession God. story, you okay? No, I'm not okay. Something just fucking touched me. Ugh. It's the worst. It's... Oh, my God. Has something touched you? Yeah, that with the hello story. She touched you? Oh. Yeah, it was what? touched my neck, and then I just sat oh, on the floor right. in the kitchen. That's right. Scared the shit out of me. I almost just left my whole family. <laughs> I was like, yeah, not worth it. Bye. Bye. Oh, thanks. That was luck. terrible. I, know, I was thinking, like, it wasn't my hair. I was trying to, like, it's a distinct, like, pressure. Weird. I don't have a necklace on underneath, so it's not like if you're a girl, you would understand this. Yeah. Like sometimes when you or boys that wear jewelry, but sometimes your necklace will like slide back. And you don't think it's like a black widow spider or like a snake or something? <laughs> I could hear Logan <laughs> laughing out there. <laughs> the guy that was that was my um, impersonation of the guy who tries to be helpful, but then just makes things worse. Like he's like, oh, okay, don't they're freaked out about a, a demon? So maybe it's just a spider. Mm. Maybe. It's- <laughs> 
I hate you so much. I need things to throw at you in this show. You need little squishies you could throw at me. Well, okay, the thing is, is we used mm-hmm. to, if you've been following Dan and I. Oh, yeah, we haven't done the little racquetballs. Rack, yeah, on, on socials, like last year, and even the year before that, we used to, th- like, sneak up on, on each other and throw balls at them. Lindsay sent those to us. Lindsay Rustin. Yeah, yeah. She sent yeah. She sent you. She was on Team Dan, and then she somebody was. sent some to me, mm-hmm. and it became a whole thing. But then it all came crashing down when oh, I yeah. threw a ball and hit a glass of water and then it almost ruined your computer. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, Dang it. I'm very klutzy. It's probably my fault. <laughs> okay, right. let's get you out of here. Yeah, let's do it. I need, I want to like take my shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> thanks for the ratings and reviews. I love you. Um, and we, and we want to thank some Annabelle's uh, yes. right now. Yeah. And just so you guys know, um, for a couple weeks, you're going to hear saying, okay, we're going to get to 30 a week. We're oh, yeah. going to get to 30 a week. Um, we will switch to 30 as of the 3-9 episode. Just to I thought be, it was 329. No, it's 39. Oh, okay, I love okay. it. It's um just to be totally transparent. I have this spreadsheet and then I compare it next to the spreadsheet I can pull off Patreon. And this is gonna sound so lazy, but it's the way my brain works. I have counted and then like drawn a line and counted and drawn a line. And I have transposed that into the spreadsheet. And if I mess up that order, I just know myself, I will somehow miss somebody somewhere. It'll get fucked up and then I'll be really sad. Okay. 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 Well, uh, I'll, uh, do you want to start today? No? Okay, I'll okay. go first. Sure. Uh, so, thank you, Annabelle's. We super appreciate your support. Thank you to Sarah Tanner, Jocelyn Rodarte, Sam Williams, Heather Perez, Kayla Beers, Sheena Kinman, Ryan, no last name, Joshua Espinosa, Amber Sorensen, and Elaine Harold. And then, is there any is there any spoopy shout outs or birthdays? Do you want me to, or do you want to do those oh, after I do mine? I'll do mine after yours. Okay. I don't want to get like all smushed up. Yeah. And I want to thank the Annabelle's Brooke Brooks. I love that. That's fabulous. Brooke Brooks. Uh, Danielle Mercer, Ricardo Ferreira, uh, Parker, mm, ooh, uh, Kursume, C E R C U M E. I gave you so many hard Sarah ones. Sumi, I don't know. Uh, Laura Grubaugh, Jeremy Shreppel, Drew Bruinger, Georgia Mutchen. Maybe <laughs> Tiffany Ojeda uh, and Sarah Haman, I think. Sarah Man, Haman. I was trying so Hammond. hard to Hammond. stick. Hammond, Sarah Hammond, maybe. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get you stuck on the names this week. I have huh. trouble with just regular words that you're supposed to know. <laughs> then you add names. It's like, oh, boy. I know. I know. Okay, well, we have a few spoopy shout outs. To Nick from Sam, I love you always and forever. To Mike from Valencia, happy birthday. To Kylie from Matthew. Oh, this is so sweet. Matthew wanted to give you the best promposal ever. So, Kylie, will you go to prom with Matthew? Adorable. Adorable. And you can't do like promposals in school because school's jacked up right now. Mm-hmm. Anyways, to Matt, aka Waldo from Nikki, happy anniversary. To Marissa from Hector, I love you. And to Manuel, aka Gilbert from Nina, your niece, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. How do you get Gilbert from Manuel? I don't know. I'm very curious. <laughs> uh, that's all for today. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith on social media and badmagicmerch.com design. Uh, store at badmagicproductions.com for customer service for anything merch related. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation, Joe Paisley, producing and directing, Zach Cohen, custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions if you would like to watch on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Scared to Death Podcast if you want to see the pictures we reference on the show and more. 
Check out our private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers. 13,000 horror lovers there now. Gosh dang, it feels like every week it's going up by 1,000. <laughs> is that possible? It hasn't been, but it's been, it's been moving. But yes, Oof. it is moving. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. Uh, check out our Patreon if you want ad-free episodes, monthly bonus episodes, the This Looks Awesome Horror Movie Club, and more. And enjoy your nightmares. Creeps and Peepers hope you were scared to death. Bye, kids. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.